Hello there. This is Crystal, and you're listening to Half Asian, Half White Girl. And uh, I see that there are now six people listening, potentially. Uh, That's pretty amazing. So thank you for following. And uh, I hope you enjoy the show. If you have something that you'd like me to talk about, uh, please feel free to email me the six people, potentially are listening uh there's one person who it just looks like some sort of uh, advertisement so potentially five maybe maybe less i'm not sure but if you have anything that you'd like me to talk about from a half korean half white perspective um please feel free to email me at half half 1985 at gmail.com uh please keep it positive uh and that'd be great Uh, Tonight, I'd like to talk about uh, language and how um, I feel so fortunate to know uh, Korean as a language and English as a language. Um, You know, growing up, learning Korean was not, it was not an option. Uh, Korean was actually my first language before I had learned English. Uh, growing up in a mostly Korean household, um, I had to learn Korean. It wasn't an option. It was not even a thing that I thought about. It was just as soon as I was speaking, I knew I was speaking in Korean. Um, and that I didn't know until way later down the road in life that that would be such a blessing. And, um... If I think about it now, if I were to learn all of the Korean that I know right now, today, if I started as an adult, I don't think I would know it as intimately. I don't think it would be so embedded in my heart, in my mind. Um, And it pops up in interesting ways. So I'll have a couple of stories about that later on. But I basically just want to read one quote about... Um, the importance of language. Um, and this one's from Nelson Mandela, and he says, If you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his own language, that goes to his heart. And I find that this quote really encapsulates and summarizes so many stories that I have. Um, One such story would be, you know, my relationship with my mom. My mom, she has, um, for everyone else's standards in the outside world, an amazing, like, she's really good at English. And uh, she can tell her stories. She might have a bit of an accent, but everyone understands what she's saying. She has great diction. And uh, she can access as many words as as she can figure out to help the story along. But when she is speaking in Korean and only Korean, she is the funniest person that I know. She is so hilarious. And for me, it feels like, uh, like it is a privilege to know her for her comedic side, for, um, for how quick that she is, how quickly she thinks about things and how quickly she can analyze a situation. It's definitely taught me a lot of lessons about how to think on my feet um, and how to 
sort of case joint, you know, if I'm entering a situation uh, in Korean, we call that having nunchi, which is basically um, nun being meaning your eyes uh, and just the ability to look around and sort of assess a situation and know sort of uh, how to tap into your flight or fl your fight or flight. So look around, see what's going on. And if you have to book it, book it. And if you have to fight, figure out how to do that. It's just a lot of just tactical kind of stuff. And it's really quick. It happens really fast. Um, but I love that there is a word in Korean and there may be words in English as well, but um, there are just words in Korean that just get to the point of what you're trying to say. Um, uh, or like the, the beingness that is within you and what you're doing on the inside that other people can't quickly assess on the outside. I love these words because I feel like I am part of a community of people who um, have developed a type of language that works for them. And many people are trying to understand our culture right now. And, um, and I'm really proud of that as an adult. It wasn't always that way when I was little, you know, uh, when I talk to people who now, you know, they're, maybe they are Korean, they're full Korean or they're half Korean or they're some part of Korean and maybe their parents either weren't, uh, diligent with them in teaching them, you know, and there are a variety of stories why some parents, uh, made a choice not to teach their children, you know, they wanted that child to have, uh, to know impeccable English and only to, uh, be seen by white people as someone who is confident, who is, you know, of, of value in our American society. Um, so a lot of parents chose not to teach some children. There are some stories that, uh, others tell me about how their parents did try to send them to Korean class. And, and tried to instill the need to learn in Korean, like the importance and the benefits. And, you know, you get to communicate with grandma more. You get to communicate with us on a deeper level. There's like these benefits. So they tried to reason with their kids about the benefits of learning. Um, I was not given that luxury. Like, I don't know what goes on in other people's households, but... Um, basically I, I was learning Korean when I was little. And then when I went to elementary school, I was introduced to English. And, um, then in elementary school, I had English to learn and I had more Korean to learn. So my, I don't know what was going on with myself, but I think I was just trying to choose one, maybe, um, knowing who I am now, I like to like, sort of like pick a lane. And so maybe... Uh, I was just like, okay, I'm going to just try to learn English and, and then practice at home my English so that I, when I go to, you know, my new peer group, I'm learning English and I'm practicing English and I know my English and then I'm moving on to the next English words. So when I'd come home, I would, you know, try to use some English on my mom and uh, she would pretend like she didn't hear me. So if I said, mom, I'm hungry or something like that, um, she'd be like, I feel like I can hear someone speaking to me. And this is all in Korean. Like, 
I feel like it and and then I would have to adapt. So if she's speaking Korean to me, I'd have to speak Korean back to her in order to get what I wanted, which was either food or some attention or like something. And as soon as I spoke Korean, like, and she'd be like, oh, there you are. Oh, I didn't see you there. Oh, you're hungry. You're great. And she would kind of make it a little bit of a game. Um, she didn't put options on the table. She didn't try to reason with a kid. You know, she just made it a little game. And I really like that story as an adult because that means that it's fun for a little kid to try to figure something out and try to understand what's going on. But it wasn't yelling at a kid to uh, learn another language, which just adds stress and pressure. And um, I'm already anxiety prone, so I probably would have shut down pretty quickly had my mom made me learn Korean. So for that, I'm really grateful. So I had the opportunity to go to Korea for three summers when I was in middle school. Um, I knew sort of, you know, how to say basic phrases uh, to get by in a Korean household. Um, you know, like do your chores, uh, you know, set the table, things like that. And speaking with my mom recently, she told me a story of how she wasn't sure if I was going to make it in terms of learning all the Korean that was available. Um, and so she got this bright idea to send me to Korea for the summer when I was in middle school because then she figured, well, this is sort of when I feel like her brain's going to start waking up in terms of maybe uh, acting up a little or being more defiant. So before she gets to that stage, uh, I'm going to have to do something a little, a little out of the box. So she decided to send me to Korea for the summer and it was an amazing experience because I'd never met my family, my extended family in Korea. Uh, I have uh, cousins that I now know. I have now my cousins have like children, you know, and I have aunties, I have uncles. It's a really big family. It's a kind of posse that you don't need anybody else. You don't need even need friends. Like your family is so large that you have friends in the family. And when you roll into a mall or you roll into the local eatery, you know, it is just so much energy and so much going on that you barely have time. Like people have to move out of the way for the family um, because we have arrived. So it is, it was for me, um, growing up in America, having some context of why learning Korean was important. Um, it was really fun to start utilizing a little bit of Korean. But um, another thing that was interesting was when I went to Korea that first time, um, my aunts and uncles knew that I was half uh, white. So uh, when I went to Korea, everybody was super fascinated with um, my my facial features, uh, the English that I knew. There was also some slang because I'd grown up in New York. There's a lot of slang in New York. So when I said a thing or I had a certain kind of attitude, 
they thought it was immediately interesting and immediately funny. Um, and I just felt like a little rock star. It was pretty great. I'd go to malls in Korea and the salespeople didn't know what to make of me. Like they would kind of look at me and they'd kind of act like they were busy, but they kind of have a little side eye for me. And if I spoke in, uh, English, you know, they're like, oh, then she's an American. That makes sense. And sometimes they were nice to me and sometimes they didn't know what to say in English. So they would use a little bit of English or they would send forward a, you know, a younger salesperson who was sort of stocking stuff in the back who may have had a couple of English classes. So there was definitely that, that divide of feeling like, oh, this is someone... I could really speak to if I knew my language better. And I felt like there was definitely a feeling of that, that gap of, I need to learn more Korean in order to do this thing in, in this part of society. Um, and also then there, there was motivation. There was this aspirational thing. Um, and then it was funny because once I spoke amount of Korean that I knew to the salesperson, they were all about it. You know, they were suddenly just so enamored with how a person who doesn't quite look like them, but kind of does, uh, could know even any Korean, uh, and speak to them. And so they would try to say more things and they would show me extra samples of things and bring me sizes and different kinds of pants and skirts and it was definitely um, a different kind of experience that I, I hadn't seen. There was so much excitement from another being that I didn't know uh, over this, you know, the single thread uh, that, that bonded us somehow. So when I got back to America, I realized that I had a lot of Korean to learn and I had at some point then in high school, moved from New York to California. And I mean, the culture shock, it was a lot, you know. Uh, first of all, in New York, I had grown up in Elmhurst when I was really little. So we lived in a, a lower income working class sort of, um, it, it wasn't, it was definitely not the projects but it was definitely not, you know, um, suburbia at its finest. So we lived in apartments that were stacked. It was brick. Um, when it snowed, it snowed really hard. And in the summer, it was really hot. And there was such a such an amazing diversity of black people, of, of Mexican people, of Cuban people, of, of so many different kinds of ethnicities uh, just crammed in this space and always scrambling to go to the next place and the next place. Uh, there was such an amazing type of energy about the city that uh, I still miss to this day, but there's a part of that in my soul that I, I am definitely a New Yorker at heart. And when I moved to California, it was a completely different vibe. It, it was just expansive and just wide, wide open. And for the first time in my neighborhood, our neighborhood was 40% Asian people. And 
I mean, if I could say, wow, it, that is so many more Asian people than um, I had known in one area. At one point, when I did live in Elmhurst, I moved to Long Island. And even then, you know, I sat at the Asian table. There was maybe four of us, you know, uh, and I could probably name them now, you know. Uh, there was me, there was Simone, there was like Eileen, uh, did I say Paul yet? Uh, and there's probably one other dude who ended up being at the cool people table, the cool white people table, because he was really, really good at basketball. So when I go from, uh, an experience where, and I probably missed a couple of, uh, names in there, but... For the point of the story, a small group of Asian kids, like I knew all of them in my class, to uh, California, Orange County, 40% Asian people um, in our school. I mean, I didn't know that there was such a wide breadth of, of different kinds of Asian, you know, like... I had gone from, like, mostly Jewish community, so I... So part of me knows Jewish words like, like shiksa and schwitzing. Um, oh my guy's such a putz. When I got to California, I realized that I have a lot to learn and I have a lot of things that, um, that I want to do. I was already being really creative at that time. And uh, coming to California and having such a culture shock, a lot of people um, really pulled at my ethnicity and said, like, oh, you're half white, you're half Asian. Uh, how interesting, like, who, who is the white person? Who is the Asian person in your family? Is it your mom? Is it your dad? Just very quickly, it could get so intimate, like super, super intimate. Um, and I barely know any of these people, but when someone looks at my face, they want to immediately know my whole family. And for me, I'm a pretty private person in terms of, uh, like, I don't want to get to know you so hard on the first meeting. Um, but being a kid and needing new friends, going to a new school, um, I had to. I had to open myself up. And uh, quickly I learned who I should and shouldn't trust. Uh, but that's a story for another time. Main point is... Uh, if you're talking to someone of a mixed race, my only word of, uh, learning would be that maybe just give that person a moment to get to know your name, get to know who you are outside of race. And maybe in like the second or third sitting, you know, say like, oh, like if that's something that you're curious about, you could ask then, but maybe just not right off the bat. And... Um, I'll fast forward. So in college, I elected to take more Korean classes. And uh, by the time I left college, I had uh, this speaking proficiency that I already had mixed with now uh, writing and reading skills that I desperately needed in order to get to a point in my Korean-ness that I could be proud of. Um, so I was really glad to do that. And people ask me like, well, you're Korean. So are you taking these as like freebie classes, you know, because 
if I know Korean and I'm taking a basic class in Korean for the whole year, that is perceived as like being like easy on my grades. But I told them that, you know, for me, college was not just about, you know, putting myself into focal classes and seeing how I perform. It was also about what do I want to get out of college? Like, how am I, how will I be enriched? And what is going to be that lasting impression I have walking away as an enriched person? And for that, I feel, looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Um, so I would encourage any person who may or may not be in college now to look into uh, languages that are available to you, especially if it is something that is part of your culture and your part of your identity somewhere. If you are interested in in furthering your knowledge and and the history and the and the food and the culture of uh, wherever you come from or wherever you want to be in the future, I would definitely take advantage of of the language classes because that's the key. That's the you know, that's the doorway into uh, all kinds of other worlds that are available right now in the world. So I am so grateful that I, I took those, those Korean classes in college. I'm going to end on uh, one story now that I'm an adult and how knowing my language has affected my life. I was at a startup, and I'm not at that startup anymore, but it is uh, an augmented reality startup that still exists, and I was a uh, UX UI designer there, and uh, we were based out of Tokyo at the time, so I was living in Tokyo for two months, and talk about I don't know any Japanese, I still don't know any Japanese. Um, and it's, it wasn't a refusal to learn. It was just so difficult for me to remember, you know, and I don't know if it's because not only was I living in a brand new city, um, there was definitely some overwhelm of some feeling of loneliness because my core group of family and friends were not with me. It was also winter and I have, you know, I definitely uh, get a little depressed when it's a different kind of season. It's very cold out. Uh, I get lethargic, uh, I get um, extra lonely. So uh, you would think that loneliness would be a key motivator to learn a new language, but I learned that that was not true for myself. No matter how many times someone would teach me, oh, these are like the key phrases that you need to learn, I couldn't keep it in my head. Uh, and I had other teammates with me who knew enough Japanese to get by and so I would just tag along with them or I would purposely do things where I did I could just point um, it's also very helpful that in Tokyo you can order things uh, just by pushing some buttons and inserting money and you've now ordered your food you don't have to communicate with anybody uh, you just sit and they'll bring your food with you with your ticket and and that's it so there were parts of the experience where I could, you know, get by, but there were times where I just wanted to express a feeling or an opinion and I couldn't, and I just had to be okay with it, knowing that there was an expiration date coming. So 
uh, at, uh, during that job, what was great about knowing Korean was I was the only one on the team that knew Korean. And the startup had been selected to represent New Zealand um, in South Korea. So there was this huge startup event. Um, there were multiple countries uh, on the list. And each country had a delegate who could elect a certain startup to represent that country. And so for our company, it was a New Zealand-based company. There happened to be a UX UI designer on the, co on, on the company roster. And they said that uh, a couple of the team members were going to go and we needed someone to fill in for language. So not even because I had like a certain kind of work skill or because like I knew the finances, it was just because I knew the language that I could add value to the company. And if I tell you that when I went to Korea again, you know, I'd been to Korea years before, multiple times, but this specific trip was so special to me because I had felt like, you know, all of those, those years of my mom training me in Korean and uh, the times that I decided very specifically, I had a clear vision of what I wanted to be like as an enriched adult. And the fact that I went to those Korean classes and the fact that I just kept it up. And yes, I'm not, you know, um, an amazing person in Korean, but just the fact that I knew enough to get in the door, you know, like what an amazing professional experience that was. And I'm so grateful to have had the opportunities to learn my language. So I get to Korea and it's a hotel on Walker Hill. It's just, just this baller hotel. It was amazing. And it had a view of the Hangang River, uh, which is a really famous river that uh, goes through Korea. And it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Um, I had this amazing hotel room. Everything was paid for. And I just had this moment where, um, you know, I was, I was representing my company. This is, this is insane. So we go down to the floor to set up, um, and it was going to be a two to three day, uh, speaking sort of thing. You're, you're standing at the booth, you're representing your app, your app, um, to all these Korean investors, and you have to explain in a very succinct way, you know, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, over and over and over again. Like, this is how you do it. This is how you download it. This is where you get the stuff for free. This is this is just how this app works. And if they had any questions, I would answer it. And everything I did was in Korean. And I thought I was doing an amazing job because, you know, people's faces were lighting up and they were understanding. Meanwhile, there were other booths who had incredible ideas. Like, wow, amazing but they didn't have one person who knew the language. And that was tough on them because um, they would struggle with some English and some hand gestures and some diagrams. And then the investor would kind of look and just like smile politely and then kind of walk away. And, you know, I, I, I thought I had some sort of edge in my head until... Uh, there was one investor who was kind of lurking and behind one of the demos that I was doing. And I, I was starting to lose my voice because I had said sort of the same cadence over and over and over again. 
but I was sort of getting in the zone and I was getting into it. And the investor pulls me away at a breaking point where I was done talking and people were dispersing. And he said, you know, the way you say the word free, where did you learn that? And I, I immediately started blushing. I, I didn't know what to say. And I just said, well, I learned that from, you know, my family. And so some of my education is from a university, but some of it is from just life experience. Like, did I say something wrong? Um, and and to, to anybody who's listening who is Korean, how I said it was gongcha. Uh, um, and he said to me, that is like a woman who is selling uh, cakes uh, in, a, in an open air market somewhere in the countryside. That's not how you say free, like in business. And, um, I, you know, I'm open to learning something new. So I said, I, thank you so much. Uh, how would I, how should I say it so that I can say it better for the next person? And he said, uh, instead of gongja, you say murio. Murio is the right way to say it. And uh, he quietly walks away. So I get on my messaging system and it's called, it's Kakao Talk for, for Korean people. Uh, it's like the, you know, it's like Facebook Messenger, but in Korea. And I quickly messaged my mom, like, uh, I said this thing, this is what an investor said to me, you know, what is the story? And she said, oh, oh yeah, you're not supposed to actually say that in the business world. You know, the business world, you say murio, you don't say gongcha, and then she starts laughing. It's super hilarious that, you know, it's kind of an embarrassing moment, but it's funny. It is, it is legitimately funny that I got called, like, basically an ajuma, you know, like an older, older woman. And just like the way he described it was so like, I could picture it in my, my mind, you know, I'm selling cakes on the side of a road for, you know, for a dollar. Um, and so, yeah, that's the day that I learned the word murio and, uh, the education never ends. Uh, but what I will say is that I went to my COO at the time and I said, you know, I feel like I should confess that, um, it's it's possible that I'm deficient and I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have been chosen. This is a really amazing opportunity, but I'm feeling a little uncertain. And, you know, he, he basically was like, you're the only one in our company that knows any Korean. Do you have any idea how many people are at our booth? Whatever you are saying to those people, it is amazing. Keep going, keep at it. And, don't worry, you know, like, who cares? Like, you got your point across. And uh, with that, you know, I, I just picked myself back up. And I went back out there. And I said all the things, including maybe some mistakes that other people weren't telling me about. Uh, but the point is that I just kept going, you know, and, and you sure you get like an opportunity like this once in a lifetime, and maybe you made some mistakes, but if you are communicating at, you know, a 90% level, that's still okay. It doesn't have to be 100%. 
you can still make some mistakes and get your point across and um, and connect with other people. That's, that's all this world is ever about is connecting with others. So uh, thanks to years of learning my language, I was able to have this little this little nugget, this little moment uh, that I I don't think I'll ever forget. And it's a story that when I share it with other people, they just get so wide-eyed and they laugh and they get embarrassed with me all over again. It's like I'm in that moment again. Um, but it, it's still something that I love sharing. And um, that's it. So basically all of this to boil down to the fact that, you know, for anyone learning anything new, um, whether it be a language, whether it be um, just anything new, uh, have your reason, have your core personal enrichment reason why you're doing the thing. Because when other people start asking why you're doing it or start trying to uh, place a meaning on it, you have a place to go to say, no, this is like for myself and this is to enrich me because I don't know what comes tomorrow, but I know that I would like this with me, you know, inside of me, enriched inside of my, my person. So um, when that becomes your reason and you share that reason with people who doubt why you do something, um, they are just given that reason. And now they have that reason as to why you're doing it. And they can't really say anything much after that. Um, so barring any, like blowing the big budget to do it or going to bankruptcy or, you know, selling your home or, you know, putting yourself in, in harm's way or jeopardy, if there is something that you would like to do that is small and for yourself, I am always a proponent for that. And I think you should go for it because you never know what kind of door you're going to open and uh, who you'll be able to connect with next. So yeah, that was a couple of little fun stories. I felt like my last story was kind of a downer. So I wanted to uh, share a type of story that was a little bit more uplifting in the end. Um, and that's really it. So I just wanted to address one thing. Uh, I know that I kind of jump around in my story of when I was younger, but that's also something that I'd like to point out that I'm still working through because my background is so varied the way I grew up. I also jump in and out and in and out. And I, I didn't have that, that perfect little home that I always grew up in that I know that, you know, some people, maybe they have that one home. Some people, maybe they moved once, uh, but I moved a lot, like a lot. So, um, so for me, sometimes I jump in and out of a story because a memory will trigger like, oh yeah, that moment. And, oh yeah, that moment. So we're going to get there at some point. I'm going to tell that story of how I grew up, but for now, I just want to stick to single themes, um, in order to get across this message of, um, having the two souls in one body. Um, that is my, my Asian side and my white side. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, and that's it. I hope you have a great night and 
God bless. Bye.